Good afternoon and welcome to our afternoon open-air outreach at Partick Station in the West End of Glasgow. We're delighted to be able to come out again this afternoon. And we're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We are a, a local congregation and we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace every Lord's Day on the Sunday. And that's up Dumbarton Road when you come to the police station. Opposite the police station, go up the hill and you will first of all come to Thornwood Primary School and then you will meet our building to Thornwood Terrace at the crossroads next to the school and we would extend a warm welcome to you. We meet there on the Lord's Day Sunday at 11 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. in the early evening. And we also have a, a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. And we do extend a warm welcome to you all to come along where you might hear something uh, concerning the Christian gospel. We realize that today the vast majority of people don't go to a Christian place of worship. They don't see any need of God. They don't see any need to hear the Word of God. And they think nothing of the Lord's Day. And therefore they don't hear the authentic Christian gospel. Well, this is one reason why we would come out to the marketplace, to the place where people are, in order that we might be enabled, even for a moment or two, to bring something of the Christian gospel to you. I have no desire to embarrass anyone, but I'm sure if I asked you a question, what is the Christian gospel, I doubt if you would be able to give me an accurate biblical answer to what the Christian gospel is. Well, this afternoon, by the grace of God, we want to be able to tell you something concerning the gospel, the Christian gospel. We want to start first by quoting a verse that the Apostle Paul wrote when he was writing to young Timothy. He was a pastor in a place called Ephesus, which is today in modern Turkey. And Timothy was experiencing problems in the pastorate. There were problems in the congregation, and he was inclined to be somewhat timid. And the Apostle Paul wrote a couple of letters to him to encourage him to continue in the gospel work and not to be intimidated. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, a verse you'll find in your Bibles. It says, quote, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. There we have uh, in one very short verse, something that tells us about what the gospel is all about. This is a faithful saying. This is something that we find in the Word of God. 
and we take all our teaching and all our lessons from the Bible. The Bible is God's Word. It's God's revelation to mankind. It's God's message. And God over the years has given this Word, and He, by miraculous means, has preserved this Word so that we have it today. The writings in the Bible are at least 2,000 years old, and some are even older than that. But they are still the Word of God, and they still speak to us today in the 21st century. And what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, this is a faithful saying, this is something that you want to heed and listen to. This is not man's Word. This is not the Word of the church. This is the Word of God. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. People are to accept this. Why are they to accept it? They are to accept it because it comes from heaven, and it comes with the authority of heaven. And it tells us why the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. Now, we as a, as a denomination and a congregation, we don't make much of Christmas time as it's called. We don't make much of it because we're not told to in the Bible. We're told to remember the Lord's Day. What is the Lord's Day? The Lord's Day is the day when Jesus rose from the grave, and that happened on the first day of the week. But we recognize that we're living in a society and in a culture that at this moment, we might say, has entered into the festive season. And uh, whether we like it or not, something that happens in the festive season is that many people's minds are drawn to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this verse that I'm quoting to you tells us that Christ Jesus came in to the world. He did come into the world. And Christ Jesus is the Son of God. And the Son of God became just like us. He became a man. He is the God-man. He is absolutely unique. There is no individual like the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only begotten Son of God. As the Son of God, He had no beginning. But He became a man, and we call that the incarnation. And it truly is a mystery. But the Son of God became the Son of Man. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by an extraordinary miracle performed by the Holy Spirit. And this is vitally important for us to bear in mind and to realize and to accept, because by this he became a man, but he was born without original sin. And we will talk about that somewhat later. But the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. He came from heaven. No one else has ever come from heaven. We know that we live in a time and in a day when there are 
and multitudes of religions. We are awash with religion, even in Glasgow, even in Scotland, even in the United Kingdom. Wherever we go, we have multitudes of religions. But there's no religion like the Christian religion. What makes it unique? What makes it unique is the fact that Jesus came from heaven. He is the only one who has come down from heaven. He is unique. He is the Son of God, and He became the Son of Man. He became just like us. And He did this for a purpose. It was in order to save. This is what His name means. Jesus. It means Savior. Thou shalt call Him Jesus. Why was He to be called Jesus? He was to be called Jesus because He was to come to this world in a great mercy mission. And it was in order to save men, women, and boys and girls. To save sinners. Now here really we have come to the very heart and the very essence of the Christian gospel. He came to save. He himself did say after he met with Zacchaeus, the great tax collector, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And here is something that we have to take on board. If we're ever to look upon the Lord Jesus, if we're ever to call upon Him, if we're ever to think upon Him, if we're ever to look upon Him, there is something that we must realize. And it's a very humbling thought. What is it? It is the realization that we're sinners. Why are we sinners? Well, we're sinners because we're sinners by nature. It's in our nature. And maybe in modern words, it's in our DNA. It's part of us. But it wasn't always part of us. We were created in the image of God. Well, way back in the beginning, when God made the heaven and the earth, and He made all things, on the sixth day, we're told in the Word of God in Genesis chapter 1, it says, let us make man in our image. And there the triune God looked upon the creation and decided when creation was ready, let us now make man in our image. And that's what he did. He created the first man from the dust of the earth. And God breathed his spirit into Adam, and he became a living being. And he was made in the image of God. The Bible teaches us God made man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. And way back at the beginning, our first parents were perfect. Adam was perfect, and from Adam, what happened? Well, God created a suitable partner for him woman. She came from Adam. And there we have our first parents. And they then were in the Garden of Eden, 
and they enjoyed a wonderful time with their Creator. They enjoyed fellowship and communion. Their relationship was perfect. There was no problem. They were able to converse and to get along. For how long this lasted, we do not know, but something did happen. The evil one came, and what did he do? He began to tempt Eve. And Eve succumbed to temptation. She broke the law that God had given to them. God had given them one simple commandment. They could eat from any tree in the garden, but they could not eat of the, of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. They were told the moment that they would eat from that tree, they would die. And the devil came and tempted Eve, and she succumbed. And then she gave the fruit to Adam, and he disobeyed, and he ate the fruit. And you might think, well, that was not, nothing much happened there. It wasn't that important, but it was, because it was treason. It was treachery. There they sided with God's enemy, and they became the enemies of God. And as a result, sin entered into human experience and human history. And therefore, all that came from Adam and Eve, they inherited the guilt of their sin. And they inherited their sinful nature. And that's why today, all of us have come from one set of parents. We know that today the race and racism is a hot potato in the culture that we live in today. But let us be abundantly clear about this. The Bible only recognizes one race, and it is the human race. And it can be scientifically proved that we've all come from one set of parents. And therefore, everyone in this world, in some sense, is part of one family, the human race. And the whole of the human race has been corrupted by sin. It's in our nature. We've inherited from, from our own parents, and our parents from their parents, and so on. You go right back to the very beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, they became sinners, and their whole relationship to God changed. And because we have come from them, we are sinners by nature, and, which we cannot deny, our actions reveal that we have a sinful nature. Why is it we lose our temper? Why is it we fight? Why is it we commit fornication and adultery and homosexuality? Why is it we steal? Why is it we commit idolatry? Why is it we blaspheme the name of the Lord our God? Why is it we break the Sabbath day? Why is it we lie and cheat? Why is it that we covet things that we should not? We do these things, friends, because we have a sinful nature. Out of the heart the mouth speaketh. And you can hear that even today. As some people pass by, you can hear their conversation. And their conversation is not very good. You will hear cursing and swearing and blasphemy. Where does it come from? It comes from the heart. And this is the problem with us. Sin has affected the whole of us. 
the whole of mankind, and the whole of man has been affected by it. Our behavior has been affected by sin. But we are here this afternoon to tell you that there is hope. Because the verse that I've been speaking to you upon tells us why the Lord Jesus Christ came. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he came into the world to save sinners. What from? From their sin. That's what he did. And that's why he came. That's the purpose. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. No, he came to save them. And it's remarkable then that he came on a mercy mission, yet we live in a day and a time when multitudes are rejecting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will have nothing to do with the gospel. But the Apostle Paul says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. That's his own verdict upon his own life, upon his own person. I am the chief of sinners, yet he has come to save me. And you know, the Apostle Paul, before he was a Christian, he was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish Pharisee, and he was steeped up to his neck in religion. But it was all self-righteousness. He was hoping to get to heaven by his works. But he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and his life was changed. And that's, hap that's what happens when one becomes a Christian. Life changes. What is conversion? Conversion, friends, is two things. It is repentance and faith. It's repentance unto life. What does that mean? It means that we turn from our sins. You know, the Apostle Paul when he was on the road to Damascus, when he met the Lord Jesus, he was going to Damascus in order to round up Christians, men and women, and bring them back to Jerusalem and put them in prison. He was all out. He was all out to destroy the infant Christian church. He had no time for the Lord Jesus, and he had no time for the disciples and he had no time for the gospel. But what happened when he met the Lord Jesus? He was transformed. What happened to him? The one who used to persecute the Christians became a preacher of the gospel, and the Lord Jesus Christ gave him a commission to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That means he was to go out with the gospel, and he was to evangelize all those who were not Jews. And that's what he did. And that was part of his repentance, because he was going in one direction, and then when he met the Lord Jesus, he went in another direction altogether, from persecuting the Christians to preaching the Christian gospel. And that's what's required of us, friends, when we embrace the Lord Jesus, we must turn from our old life, 
We must turn from our sins. This is what's required. Turn, turn. That's what we're told in the Bible. Turn away from our sins. Stop our fornication. Stop our adultery. Stop our lying. Stop our cheating. Stop our covetousness. Stop our killing. Stop our blasphemy. All of these things we find in the Ten Commandments. You will know them, I'm no doubt. Because, no, thank you, sir, we won't do that. We'll believe the Ten Commandments because ultimately one day you'll be judged according to the Ten Commandments. And the first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's what God said. That's what God says to every single one of us. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I put it to you, friends, and most of you will agree with this, that if the world was to embrace the commandments, if the world was to live according to the Ten Commandments, what a different world this would be. Is that not true? If we were to truly endorse the Ten Commandments, what a change, what a transformation would be in Partick and would be in Glasgow and would be in Scotland. What a transformation if we were only to worship the one true and the living God. What a transformation it would be if we were to worship Him according to His Word instead of the way that we think we should worship Him ourselves. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. That's the second commandment. And that's teaching us that we cannot worship God any way that we like. We must worship Him the way that He has set out and prescribed in the Word of God. What is the third commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. I ask you this afternoon, those of you who can hear, is it not true that on many occasions you take the Lord's name in vain? How often do you say, O oh God, oh, or O oh Christ, or whatever? That's taking the Lord's name in vain. We hear it continually on the media and no one seems to bat an eyelid but what does the third commandment say thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain and the world might think nothing of it but the Lord thinks about it his name is holy his name is precious and you're not to take his name in vain what is the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What is the Sabbath day? Well, the Sabbath day today, friends, is the first day of the week. It's the Lord's day. And we're to remember the Lord's day. Where's God when all the kids are starving me? Where's man? What? God has... God has man's give you the bastard, that's it. Man has, has got the capacity to feed the world, but man keeps the food to himself. You cannot blame God for man's behavior. We're responsible human beings. And this world has produced enough food to feed all the world. But man holds on to it and will not distribute it 
There's your problem. It's not God, it's man. And what is the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, the Sabbath day, what is it? It's the first day of the week. Why is it the Lord's day? It's the Lord's day because that's the day when Jesus rose victorious over the grave. And you're to remember that day. It's a special day. It's a holy day. It's not a day for shopping. It's not a day for traveling. It's not a day for playing sport. It's not a day for going to the cinema. It's a day for the public and the private worship of God. And the Lord says to us today in Partick and in Glasgow and to the ends of the earth, remember now the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What does the fifth commandment say? The fifth commandment says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. How many people honor their parents today? And how many people honor those who have authority and rule over us today? This is what this commandment would teach us. How many people think when their parents get old, instead of looking after them, we'll just throw them into a, a home? What does the Bible say? Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. We are to give due honor and reverence and respect to our parents and to those who have authority over us, like the policeman, like the teacher, and like the, the judge and the magistrate and the politician. We recognize that these things have been appointed by God, and therefore we are to give them due reverence and due respect. That's what this commandment teaches us. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. What about the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit murder, or thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Oh, here's a hot potato today, is it not? Thou shalt not kill. How many of our hospitals are used to kill? innocent babies in the womb? How many people today will kill their, their children in the womb? And the Bible tells us, thou shalt not kill. Terrible things are happening in hospitals. Uh, civilized society can do these things. It's absolutely remarkable. But the Bible tells us, thou shalt not kill. And life is precious. Life is sacred. And God is the one who gives life. And only God can take away life. And this is a real blot upon our society that millions of children have been slaughtered in the womb in the name of pleasure. The sixth commandment, Thou shalt not kill. The seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Here, what is the Word of God telling our society today? Well, it's telling our society today that you are to find sexual fulfillment within the bond of marriage. And any sex outside of biblical marriage is wrong. It's a sin. 
fornication, adultery, bestelia, homosexuality, and whatever you like to call all these things. They're all sins, and they're all a breach of the seventh commandment, which says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. What is the eighth commandment? Thou shalt not steal. This would tell us that we are to work for what we, are, what we get, and we're not to steal from our neighbor or from anyone else. And that means even the taxman, we're to give accurate figures for our tax return. And if we go to a shop, for instance, and we're undercharged and we know about it, we should go back to the shop and tell them, tell the error that the cashier has made and tell them their mistake. This is covered under this commandment. Thou shalt not steal. What's the ninth commandment? Thou shalt not bear false witness. We're to tell the truth. Do we not live in a day and in a time when truth is hard to find? Very hard to find in the media. Very hard to find in social media, in the print media, and in the TVs. Our reporters, how often do they tell the truth? Yet that's what's required of us. Well, friends, I'm delighted to be able to tell you this afternoon that here we have truth. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Thy word is truth. Here is truth. Here is true, objective truth, and it will never change. You have it in the Word of God. What is the Tenth Commandment? The Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet. What does it mean to covet? Well, it means to, des de to desire something that doesn't belong to you. To have an, an inordinate desire to have something that doesn't belong to you. And you usually find that those who are covetous, the more they have, the more they want. And they're never satisfied. As we've had a very brief look at the Ten Commandments, surely, friends, if we've been listening, if we've been thinking, surely it's telling us that we have broken these commandments. We have never kept them. We could think even of the first one, the most important one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What is a god? Well, we're inclined to think that a god is some kind of statue or some image that we bow down before. Well, that may be a, a primitive god, and maybe some people today are doing that, but we have more sophisticated gods. A god is anything that takes a place of the living God. And we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And if we test ourselves in this matter, we'll find we haven't done this at all. Instead, our affections have been placed somewhere else. Maybe our affections are upon our, our spouses, or our children, or our grandchildren or our jobs, or our money, or our properties, or our entertainments, or our amusements, whatever. Anything that takes the place of the living God is an idol. The likelihood then is that we have broken the first commandment. 
We are therefore sinners in the sight of God. And we're sinners because we're sinners by nature. And because we're sinners by nature, what happens? Our behavior betrays the fact that we're sinners. But there is hope. There is hope. And that hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in the Savior. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And do you know, even today, the Lord Jesus is still saving sinners. How then can we be saved? If we have proved from the Word of God that we are sinners, how then can we be saved? How can we possibly be reconciled to God? The only way, friends, is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to have Him as our Lord and Savior, because He is the one who went ultimately to suffer in Gethsemane, and then to be crucified in Calvary to pay the price of our sins. You see, sin demands a price. We might think sin is a light matter. We don't think much about it. But it is not a light matter in the sight of God. The wages of sin is death. That's why we die. And that's why Christ died. But He didn't die for His sin because He had no sin. He died as our substitute. He died in the room and place of His people. And what's required of you this afternoon? What's required is that you believe upon Him. It's one thing to hear about Him. It's another thing to believe upon Him. And it's only when we believe upon Him that we benefit from what He has done. We must receive Him. That's why He says, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you, and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For My yoke is easy, and My burden is light. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. And we're delighted to be able to come out for a few moments to whet your appetite and to introduce you to the man Christ Jesus, the one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. We're going to take a short break, but may the Lord bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon again. It's good to be here. We're from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation, and we're a Scottish registered charity. We state these things because we want you to know that we're not cowboys and not fly-by-night characters. We're not here one day and gone the next. We, we operate and minister here. We live here. We meet at two Thornwood Terrace, Upton Barton Road, come to the police station, opposite the police station, go up the hill there, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School, and then next door to the school, across roads, you'll find our building. We meet on the Lord's Day, Sunday, every Sunday, 
at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m., and we extend a warm welcome to you. We also meet on Wednesday at 7.30 for a prayer meeting, and again, you are welcome there to come along anytime. And we want to acknowledge that we're not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a time when many are despising and rejecting the gospel, and many are ashamed to align themselves with Christ and His cause. But friends, we want to be spared from that. We're happy to be able to come out and to publicly identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And why so? Well, because He has transformed our lives. And this is what happens when someone becomes a Christian. Glorious things and wonderful things happen. First of all, when you believe upon the Lord Jesus, you have your sins forgiven. Now, this is remarkable. I know there might be many people in this vicinity who might go to a priest to have their, to confess their sins. Well, friends, we want to tell you respectively, there's only one person that can forgive your sins, and that person is Jesus. He's the one who suffered and died for sinners. No one else was on the cross. No one else suffered like Christ. He not only suffered a terrible physical death, but God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was there as a substitute, and he was paying the price for mankind's sin. And there on the cross, he suffered the pains of hell, because that's what sin deserves. And this is what our substitute, the Lord Jesus, voluntarily took upon Himself, that He would stand in the room and place of sinners, that He would pay the price of their sin. And because He is the sin-bearer, He's the only one that can forgive your sins. And when you believe upon the Lord Jesus, your sins are forgiven. I'm thinking of that verse towards the end of Romans chapter 4. Being delivered for our offenses and raised to life for our justification, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Christ brings to every single individual who comes to Him. Their sins are forgiven. They are wiped clean. The slate, if you like, is wiped clean. And we are justified by faith. And what does that simply mean? Well, it simply means we're not condemned. At the moment, by nature, from the moment we come out of the womb, we were under the condemnation of God because of our sin. But when we are justified by faith, we move from an estate of condemnation to an estate of justification 
whereby we stand justified and right before God. And as you can imagine, this indeed does cheer the Christian to know that your sins are forgiven, to know that you're reconciled to God. It brings joy to the soul. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And how can you know this peace? The only way that you can know this peace is by coming and believing upon the Lord Jesus. Now, you might well be saying to me this afternoon, Minister, I do believe upon the Lord Jesus. Well, I hope you truly do. But before we probe this any further, let us realize that the devils believe in Jesus. The Bible tells us in James chapter 2, the devils believe in Jesus. And they believe and tremble. Why do they tremble? They tremble because they know that one day at the end, they will be cast into everlasting fire. Yet, they believe upon the Lord Jesus. They believe in one true living God. And therefore, we must understand that to believe in Jesus does not simply mean that we believe some historical facts. It's not simply enough to say that we believe the Bible and we believe that Jesus was a person who performed miracles and who spoke wonderfully, and who went and died on a cross and rose again. It means more than that. When we believe upon the Lord Jesus, it means that we are trusting upon Him, that we are casting our souls upon Him. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him until that day. That's what the Apostle Paul said concerning his faith in the Lord Jesus. I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. What did he commit unto the Lord Jesus? He committed unto him his soul. And the Apostle Paul, when he said that, was about to die. And he knew his body would perish. But he had committed his soul unto the Lord Jesus Christ. I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. That's what belief is all about. It's believing, it's trusting upon another one who has suffered and died in your room and place. It's looking to him and to him alone. He alone can save. That's what it means. It means to trust in Him. And it means to follow Him. And to believe that He is the only begotten Son of God. Many people will not believe this. In my housing scheme this morning, we saw some Jehovah Witnesses out knocking at the doors. And they like to portray themselves as Orthodox Christians but they're not. Don't be deluded with them, with their good clothes and their fine talk. They are not Christians. Why not? 
because they do not believe in the Jesus of the Bible. They believe in another Jesus. They believe in Jesus who became a God. Yes, sir. Are you Catholic or Protestant? I'm Protestant, sir. Thank you very much. Nice of you to be complimentary. We're here to um, preach the gospel, and we take it from the Word of God, and if it offends people, then it offends people. And we realize that the gospel indeed is offensive. Why is it offensive? It's offensive because it tells us that we cannot save ourselves, and we must rely on another. And if we're relying on a Protestant church, or if we're relying upon a Catholic church, then we will be disappointed. Because no Protestant church, or no Catholic church, or any other church can save you. There's only one Savior. Who is that Savior? That Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do mention where we're from. We do. We only say that so that people might know that we're not fly-by-night cowboys. And we want people to know we're based here, and we have a genuine ministry here. But we're not pointing you to ourselves. We're not saying that you must believe us. We're telling you that you must believe in the Son of God. And you are to take your faith, your, your religion, or whatever, you to take it from the Word of God. And all that we seek to say, we would like to say, has been verified by God's Word. And we would ask you to take up your Bibles and to read the Bible for yourself and to see if the things that we say are consistent with the Word of God or not. We want to, therefore, to tell you what life is all about, friends. What is life all about? Why are we here? We're here because ultimately God has made us. And God made our first parents in His image. God created man, male and female, after His own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. And our chief purpose in this world is to glorify God. That's what it says. That's what the Bible teaches us. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's not very nice, sir. And how do you know? Ah, you know these things. I don't think He told you. I don't think He told you at all. Another gainsayer. Ah, shut up. No, no. Yes, yes. No, no. Why should we? Why should we? Why, why should we shut up? Well, how do you know? Everybody's listening. You're listening. If massive audience, yes, we do. With people in the flats, they're listening. You're listening. I'm telling you. I'm telling you the one true and living God. I'm telling you about the day you're going to stand before King Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Those gainsayers, they'll stand before the seat of Christ and they'll give account of the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord 
We persuade men. That's why we're out to tell you there's a day coming when you'll stand before King Jesus. It's easy to interrupt the preacher and to try to put him off track, but one day you'll stand before King Jesus. He'll be on his throne, and you'll not say a word. Your tongue will stick to your mouth. You'll not say a word, and he'll issue perfect judgment to you in that day. And that's why we come out to tell you that you might find a Savior, that you would find a Savior who would save you from that day. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's why we're out, friends, in order to persuade people to turn from their path of self-destruction, to accept the inevitable. Your life is coming to an end. One day you'll stand before King Jesus. How will you fear that day? I'll tell you that day you'll want a Savior. You'll want a Savior. Who is that Savior? The Savior is Jesus Christ the Lord. And He says to you today, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. There is no other Savior that can save. There is no other one who has come from heaven. There is no other one who went to Calvary. There is no other one who suffered in the room and place of sinners. There is no other one who went to the grave and arose on the third day. There is no other one who has ascended up into heaven. There is no other one who sits at God's right hand today waiting for that day when he will return. The day will come, friends, when you'll see it. Behold, he cometh in the clouds, and every eye shall see him. Even the scoffers, even the scoffers and the gainsayers, they will see him. What a day that will be. And therefore, because that day is coming, we want to tell you that there's a way of escape. There's a Savior. Who is that Savior? That Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to you today, here in Partick, in Partick Station, He says to you in the Gospel, Look unto Me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Oh, friends, don't you realize that the Lord Jesus has come to save that's what he's done. He's come to save. And this is the day of opportunity. This is the time when salvation has been offered, when our sins can be forgiven, when we can be reconciled to God, when the slate can be wiped clean, when we can have a glorious relationship with our God. That day has arrived in the gospel, and it's only to be found in the Lord Jesus. What does it say? What does the Bible say? 
For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Look unto me, he says, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. There's no other way, there's no other Savior. Why do you need to be saved? Maybe you're asking me. That's a legitimate question. Why do I need to be saved? I'm not a bad person. Well, friends, that's not the Bible's verdict. The Bible's verdict is there is none righteous, no, not one. We've all, like sheep, we've all gone astray. The wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't it remarkable that we have sinned against God, we have wronged Him, yet He has provided a way whereby we might be reconciled unto Him. This way has not been provided by mankind. Mankind is the one who has offended God, yet God in His mercy has devised a way whereby we can be reconciled to God. This is the good news of the Christian gospel. And it's for all of us. Why is it for all of us? It's because the Bible tells us. You can read it in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We've never reached the standard required of us. But one has, and only one. And who is that one? That one is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone has lived a perfect life. And do you know, this is the wonder, this is the glory of the gospel that Christ's righteousness is given to the sinner. The moment that we believe, the moment that we call upon Him, His righteousness is imputed onto your account. No, no. Oh, it's true, sir. No, no, it's true. How do we know it's true? Because our lives have been transformed as a result. We know the reality of it. We know the reality of it. Christianity is all about life. It's all about change of life. And it's come about because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Oh, did you hear that? John's Gospel, John chapter 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. We have everlasting life the moment that we trust upon Him. The moment that we believe upon Him, our sins are forgiven. And they are all forgiven. Our old sins, our present sins, and our future sins are all forgiven in the Lord Jesus He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. 
This is what belongs to the Christian today. If this be true, and it is, do you think we should keep this to ourselves? Seriously, men and women, do you think we should keep this good news to ourselves? Should we not export it? Should we not proclaim it? Should we not indeed blast this out wherever we can get an opportunity? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. This is the present possession of the Christian. Jesus said on another occasion, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Now he's not talking about physical hunger or physical thirst. He's talking about a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst. And those who come to the Lord Jesus, they will never starve physically, uh, spiritually. No, indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ will look after them and he will ultimately take them to glory. This is the great and glorious promise that we find in the Word of God. And therefore, we are not going to be silent. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This verse reminds us that we have something that's priceless. I know that we say many things are priceless, but that's not the truth, because there's a price on everything. Something may be very, very expensive and beyond our price capacity, but nothing is priceless. There's always a price. But your soul, your soul, a soul that every one of us has, is priceless. Why is it priceless? It's priceless because it will live forever. Don't listen to the delusions of the atheists. They live in a, a deluded world, and they like to delude themselves by saying that there is no life after death. We know that, of course, is not true. Christianity has proved that there is life after death. The very fact that Jesus rose after he was buried demonstrates that there is life after death. And we are more than simply body. We are body and soul. And when we die, what will happen? Our bodies shall return to the dust. That is true. But our soul shall immediately return to God who give us these, our soul. Your soul will live forever. The question you need to ask and the question that confronts you and I today is, where will your soul live when you die? Your body will go to the grave, but your soul shall return to God. And He will put it in one or two places. He will put it in heaven waiting for the resurrection, or he will put it in hell, again waiting for the resurrection. And Jesus says, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You've got a soul. 
It's priceless. You cannot save it. You haven't got the ability, but Jesus can. No, no, sir, that's not true. You're not listening. You're not listening. You have a soul, sir, a precious soul. It needs to be saved. How can it be saved? It can only be saved by believing upon the Lord Jesus. It's to turn away from your life. It's to repent and to believe and to embrace the Lord Jesus and begin to follow Him. He will save your soul. And that's what's important. You must believe upon Him. And we have spoken before, sir. You have addressed me before. And I'm going to tell you exactly the same thing again. You need to believe upon the Lord Jesus. You need to turn your back upon your sins. You need to leave your bottle behind. And you need to embrace Christ as He has freely offered to you in the gospel. You must turn from your sins. And what, what we say to this man, we say to every single one of us, we must turn from our sins. And we must embrace the Lord Jesus. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? What if you got everything that this world could give you? What if you were able to carry in your suitcases and in your homes everything that this world could give you? One day you're going to leave all these things behind. You're going to leave everything behind. You know, you hear when people die, how much did they leave behind? The answer is they've left everything. Absolutely everything. They can't take anything with you. And where you're going, all the things of this world will not be important in the world that is to come. And that's why your soul must be saved. Because your soul will abide in, a, in an eternal world. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You need to trust upon Jesus Christ. You need to repent and believe. Turn away from your sins. This is the gospel. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. This is our opportunity in the providence of God to come and to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. We're going to take a short break to recharge our batteries, but may the Lord bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon again, folks. We're from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation a Scottish registered charity, and we're delighted to be able to come out this afternoon to bring something of the Christian gospel to you. And we do it because we're commissioned by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, to come out. But we also do it because, well, you don't come to us. We don't see you at our services, and therefore you're missing out. What are you missing out on? you're missing out on the gospel. And you need to hear the gospel because this message has relevance for every one of us without exception. 
It doesn't matter how well-behaved we are, how old or young, whether we're educated or uneducated, it matters not. It doesn't matter where we come from, the color of our skin. It doesn't matter our sex. It doesn't matter. Every single one of us are made in the image of God, and we're accountable unto Him, and He will have a day with us. And therefore, we want to come out to prepare you for that day that you might find uh, salvation, that you might find deliverance, and that you might be right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, it's, it's a pleasure to see so many young people going about this afternoon, and the Bible obviously speaks to them as it does to us, middle-aged and old people. And it says to the young, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember now thy Creator. Now, when you're young, when your life is before you, in your prime of life, when you can devote the best of your faculties to the service of the Lord Jesus, remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. And these words were written in the Old Testament by the son of David, Solomon, who at that time was the wisest man that ever lived. And he was a powerful individual in the sense that he was a ruler. He had a kingdom and a great kingdom. He was a wise individual. He had plenty of money. He had 700 concubines and 300 wives. He had a tremendous life and a tremendous lifestyle. We would say that he had everything this world could give him. All the pleasures, he knew all of them. He had wine, women, and song, power, authority, wealth. Everything was his. And he says at the end of his life, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not. And he talks here about evil days coming. And what are these evil days? Well, they're not wicked days, but they're evil days in the sense that they're, it's, it's a time of old age. And he calls them evil days. And why are they evil? Because life is far more difficult when you get older. When you're young and fit, healthy, life looks good, it's easy in some respects, but the older you get, the harder life becomes. Even as you do ordinary things, even ordinary things become harder and harder as each day passes. Even to do things like take a shower, take a bath, put your clothes on. As you get older, these things become more of a burden. Well, he tells us to remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ now. Follow him now. A life serving the Lord Jesus is a wonderful thing. And this is what we are exhorted here. Paul said on another occasion, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, 
old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. New life. This is what Christianity is about. You see, friends, by nature, the Bible would call us dead in trespasses and sins. What does that mean? Well, it means by nature, as we come out of the womb, we are dead spiritually. We don't have the life of God in us. We don't have love for our Creator in us by nature. And that's why the Bible describes us, those who are still in their sins, as dead in trespasses and sins. But when we become Christians, everything changes. New life has entered in to the soul of the individual. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. New life has come, and that new life will manifest itself. If you have a family, maybe a husband and wife, and then they have a child, what do they notice as soon as the child comes in to the home? The home is transformed. New life, even infant life, even life that has just formed, transforms the home. New life has come in. Well, that's what happens when someone becomes a Christian. New life has entered into the soul, and a change has been brought about. And the man is a new creature. What does that mean? Well, he means he has new thoughts, new aspirations, new goals, new desires. That's what he comes about when he becomes a Christian. And I want to ask you then, do you know anything of this? Do you know anything of this experience? You might call yourself a Christian. You might go to a place of worship. But do you know this experience? The Bible calls it new birth. Ye must be born again. That's what it calls it. It's the life of God coming into the soul of man. And because he's new, what does it say? The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful change has been brought about when someone becomes a Christian. What is a Christian? A Christian is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian is one who has called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to save him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what happens. There is no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do we want to know what this is? The only way we can know it is to have Christ as our Lord and Savior. <clears throat> therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, we might well be asking us, it's all very well talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done. It's all very well talking about the forgiveness of sins and the gift of new life and to be reconciled to God. These things may well be wonderful, but will He save me? Maybe this is a question you're asking yourself. Will He save me? 
Here I am. I'm a sinner. I'm a terrible sinner. <coughs> I've done terrible things in the past. Maybe even last night. I've done terrible things, you might be saying to yourself. And you may well be saying, well, the Lord will never forgive me. I'm beyond redemption. Things are too bad for me, you might be saying. You might be thinking that to yourself. It's all very well for the do-gooders. They can be saved, but not me. I've committed terrible things. I've been a drunkard. I've been a drug addict. I've been a fornicator. I've been an adulterer. I've been a liar, a cheat, and a swindler. I've done many terrible things, and my conscience is condemning me, and there's no way can I possibly be forgiven. Is that so? Is that what the Christian gospel says? No, it's not. The Christian gospel tells us that our sins can be forgiven, and they can be forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. There is something for you to think upon. The God of the Bible who is holy and pure and righteous and who sent his Son to seek and to save that which was lost, is a God who delights in mercy. He delights in showing mercy even to the chief of sinners. And we are not, we are not to hold back. We are to come to Him with our sins. We are to repent, and we are to believe the gospel, and we are to rely upon the mercy of God he retaineth not his anger forever. Why? Because he delighteth in mercy. <coughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was the love of God that sent the Savior it was the Savior's love that caused the Savior to come. It was the Savior's love that sent him to Gethsemane and to Calvary in order that he would stand there in the room and place of sinners, in order that he might take the punishment that was due unto them. It was the love of God that provided a salvation for his people. And therefore, you are to avail yourself of the mercy of God. You are to cast your backs upon your sin, and you are to throw yourself at the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is merciful. He retaineth not His anger forever, because He delighteth in mercy. We're going to draw our time to a close. It's been good to be with you this afternoon. We're from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. And we extend a warm welcome to you to come along to, to Thornwood Terrace.
How do you get there? Go up Dumbarton Road. When you come to the police station, go up the hill opposite the police station, and you will come first of all to Thornwood Primary School, and then you will come to our building next door at the crossroads, and we would extend a warm welcome to you all to come along on the Lord's Day Sunday at 11 a.m., and again at 6 p.m., or come along on the Wednesday night at 7.30, and we would welcome you, and where you would hear something more about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Christian gospel. And therefore, may God be pleased to bless his word to you this afternoon.